as you know, I don't like for confidence. I'm a pretty confident person. But even I am shaken by what's happened over the past 24 hours in our wonderful sport. Great for Washington fans. Great for Michigan fans. Terrible if you've gone to combined 0-7 predicting their games this year. And then come to find out, I fly all the way across the country from L.A. this morning. I get back home and someone has shipped a box of clown noses to the office. And if I find out who did this, you're going down. I don't know how, I don't know when, but you're going down. In the meantime, I don't necessarily believe in hell on earth, but if it exists, your boy is there right now. With what we have coming next Monday night in Houston, we will be there for that game. But in the meantime, Late Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, January 2nd, the year of our Lord, 2024. Jam-packed, high atop, obviously a very conflicted downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I was at the Rose Bowl yesterday, got full reaction. I watched the Sugar Bowl, got full reaction. Michigan and Washington are moving on. We've got noise still from the FSU contingent in the room, and I have been asked to address it, and I will address it. I have got a lot to talk about with the transfer portal. That is not shut down just because big college football games were going on. I've got some very early thoughts, if anyone cares to hear them, on the national championship game, and I've got a bunch more in the show tonight. I've got to do some things tonight I swore to myself I would never do. They're watching us in uh, what best I can tell is pronounced Prague, Oklahoma. Could be Pragueway. Someone hit Gabe Eichert. Ask how this place is pronounced. Greenville, South Carolina, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I know Pasadena, California is tuned in because half the stadium crew told me they watched the show. We had a lot of fun there yesterday. At Late Kick Josh on Twitter and Instagram. If you weren't following yesterday, you missed a metric ton of behind-the-scenes content. But you know what the best was? It wasn't behind-the-scenes footage. It wasn't locker room access. It wasn't any of that. It wasn't all the field-level stuff I shot. I'm walking out of the Rose Bowl last night, and I turn around, because I, I love to look at the sign anytime I leave that place, and I saw the Michigan equipment truck, and I had to snap a picture. Now, if you're listening, just visualize the Michigan equipment truck with that bright block yellow M on the front of it, in all of its glory, it's never shined brighter than it had last night. And then the Rose Bowl facades in the background. I think this could be an album cover. Like I legitimately, I didn't filter this. There's, there's, not, a, there's not an ounce of touch-up done to that picture. That's just the scene as I walked up the tunnel and I walked out of the venue last night. Michigan's equipment truck was getting loaded up. I wonder if they even drive back to Ann Arbor or if they go straight from Pasadena to Houston. I would imagine it's the latter. But anyway... You need to follow over there. I've already created the story highlight for it. So if you missed all the stuff yesterday, it did not expire after 24 hours. I've got it saved there for you. Uh, we get some awesome access, not only during the game, but all week. And uh, I want to take you on that ride every chance we can. We'll do it again Monday night in Houston for the national championship game. Okay, let's dive into the show. This is going to be tough, but I got to pull the knife out of my rib cage and I just got to do it. Michigan beats Alabama in the Rose Bowl. 27 to 20 in overtime. Biggest takeaway for me, better team won the football game. Doesn't always happen. I'm not a believer that the best team always wins the football game. However, the best team did here. I grew up in the deep south, as you may know by now. So when I was growing up in the south, I would hear about dry heat. Obviously, I knew about jungle heat. I knew about thick humidity. And I knew, therefore, about how oppressive it felt when it was 95 degrees in Harris County, Georgia. But I would hear about how different it felt if it was 95 degrees in Prescott, Arizona, because of what they call dry heat. Now, the thermometer just says 95 no matter what, 
But I was always told it's much more tolerable, it's different, and you can't see it on the thermometer, but you know it when you feel it. Well, I, I think football teams are kind of the same way. There's this intangible, there's this cohesiveness, there's this togetherness, there's this glue. It doesn't show up in a model, it doesn't show up on a stat sheet, but it shows up when you need to win in the fourth quarter. It shows up when you need to execute, and Michigan's got that. And I think they've got it more than Alabama had it. And it's, it's the difference because you can't, you can't see it on paper, but you know it when you're around it. There was a vibe around Michigan all week. I didn't really talk about it on the record uh, because a lot of it's kind of privileged, but I talked to a lot of their staffers. I talked to some of their players. And the thing about folks when they play Alabama is I've been around long enough and I've been around teams long enough to know some of those folks feel like they need to do above and beyond what they normally do. A lot of teams, when they play Bama or Georgia, because of the makeup of those rosters, they feel like they need to do 120% of what they're capable of. Well, Michigan was not like that all week. Michigan was very much of the opinion, what we do is good enough. Who we are is good enough. We don't need to change anything about ourselves. Our style, if we execute well enough, we'll win. It was an imperfect game, even by Michigan standards. But that's the whole point. Michigan beat Bama and didn't need to play a perfect game to do it. So I think the better team won the game last night. Michigan's defense kind of got after Alabama. I think one of those first drives was kind of misleading. It looked like Bama's offensive line was going to work a little bit, and then they didn't so much anymore. Michigan, if you want to go padlock stat, like if we want to padlock stat an entire section of this game, six sacks forced, that's tied for a season high in terms of amount that Alabama allowed, 10 tackles for loss, Michigan racked up. They held Bama to 3 of 13 on third down. Bama put up 287 total yards. That's the lowest, that's the lowest I think, playoff output or game output since the 2017 season for them. Bama only had one pass of over 20 yards. That's a really, really key stat for them, obviously, this year because they're not much of an intermediate passing threat. And they didn't just run up and down the field either. But the fourth quarter in this game, I know you watched it because I just looked at the number and it had like 27 mil watching, especially in the fourth quarter where it peaked, was out of this world. About as good as college football gets, it wasn't perfect. I saw a member of the Xbox crowd on Twitter earlier today talking about how unwatchable it was because it was mistake prone. That's what happens, man, when two really good teams go against each other. It's not like your video game. It's real life. Those are real people out there. And uh, they're, they're not without flaw. And we had some flaws, but it was a perfect game through its imperfections to me. So the fourth quarter starts to go down with Bama scoring a touchdown. Bama scores a touchdown to start the fourth quarter. And they finally take the lead. And you're probably sitting there at home like I'm standing on the sideline there thinking, how are they winning this game right now? And then they force a three and out immediately after that. And they get the ball. They're near midfield. And Jalen Milrow does something I'm surprised he didn't do more of this year and he fumbles the ball. It was a forced fumble. Milrow runs a little loose to me. I don't know what that is. I don't know how to describe that, but he's always felt like he runs a little loose to me. If you want to call it careless, you can call it that. Like, I know he cares about the football, so I've never called it careless, but he fumbled the ball. There was a forced fumble. Michigan gets it, but the thing about it is they go and attempt a field goal and miss the thing. So Bama's still up, and then Bama Puts a five-minute, 49-second drive together. They kick a field goal of their own, a second field goal of 50-plus yards, and they've got the touchdown lead inside five minutes to go. You think that's going to be good enough because they're pitching a shutout in the second half. Michigan gets the ball. Most decisive moment of this game. Fourth and two, 
Michigan's got that ball with 319 remaining and three timeouts. They're deep in their own territory, and Harbaugh goes for it. And the play that's been open since the beginning of time against Alabama, the halfback out of the backfield is wide open, and Corum takes it and goes for who knows how many yards. I'm pretty sure the stat sheet knows. But Michigan is boom, boom, boom. 62 yards over the next three plays. They go down the field. They score. There's a minute and change remaining on the clock. Bama gets the ball back, doesn't do anything. They punt it inside a minute. Michigan muffs another punt inside their own three-yard line. It's happening right in front of me. I think we're about to essentially see uh, what would equate to like a a borderline walk-off special team safety. I thought that was what was about to unfold. Were we about to get a 22-20 to final? Somehow, guy gathers the ball and, and just doesn't hit at that point. Just don't let it go. That's all. Just don't let go. Don't do the Kate Winslet in Titanic. Don't be telling folks you'll never let go and then promptly let go. So we did not have a Titanic situation in the end zone for Michigan. And then we go to overtime and Michigan owned it. In fact, Michigan, in Nick Saban's own words, sort of owned the last few minutes of that game. And that, that's mentioned by him and it's notable by him because Alabama and Nick Saban have made careers out of owning the fourth quarter. That was just the fourth quarter, guys. We don't get that a lot in semifinal games. You notice that? Even for all the talk about who did and didn't deserve to be in this, I have never, ever, ever been of the opinion that we should field or seed a playoff based on what the most entertaining product will be. However, I do know some of you feel that's the way it should be done. And so if, if that's what your forte is, this had to be right up your alley. We had two playoff games decided on the final play yesterday. The wildest part about this like I said earlier, is Michigan found a way to win the game and, and played a very flawed game, a very flawed game. Wildest part is their special teams were abhorrent. Bama just dominated special teams. So if you want to know about a bad lock stat, which is the opposite of a padlock stat, that's the misleading thing that if you would have heard it Monday morning, it would have led to you betting uncomfortable sums of money on the wrong side. Think about me walking up to you Monday morning, yesterday morning, and I tell you, hey, bud, how are you? First off, happy new year. What if I let you know that in this game that figures to be razor tight, the spread's under a field goal. What if I told you Bama is going to average 50 yards punting? They're going to put the ball inside Michigan's 25 times. Michigan will not do that all game. Michigan's going to botch an extra point. They're going to miss a field goal. They're going to muff two punts. Bama's going to recover at least one of them. The other one's going to happen inside Michigan's five and make of that what you will. And Bama's going to make two field goals of 50-plus yards. They're going to be perfect on field goals. If I told you those things were going to transpire in what you figure will otherwise be just a razor-tight back-and-forth game, you figure Bama by double digits. I would as well. That is the biggest testament to me of the internal fortitude of that program there. It's a program win. That's not just a team win for Michigan. Because those same group, that same group largely, was on the field two years ago and got drugged by Georgia. And a lot of these same guys were on the field last year and got their hearts ripped out by TCU. And there they are, as fate would have it. It's winning time, as Reggie Miller would say. It's late fourth quarter, and they didn't allow the game to get snatched from them. Uh, They played an imperfect fourth quarter. Bama outscored them in the fourth quarter. But they had done enough, and they did enough. And then when they got to overtime, it was game over. They, they were not interested in fooling around once overtime came. I just could not believe how wildly in favor 
of crimson and white the special teams battle was, and they were still able to win. So Michigan, I thought, needed this in the worst way. Fan base knew it. Everyone knew it. Okay, there was no hidden factor. There was no one way the fan base was feeling and it was hidden from view. Everyone knew if we don't get this done, uh, this season has kind of been a failure. Uh, that's the way that Ohio State folks had been talking. If, if, we, if we can't win playoff games, if we can't win a title, it's been a failure. Well, now Michigan's in that spot. Michigan, as I told you back in the Big Ten media days portion of the season, I went to Indianapolis. Uh, when they came in that day, I tried to contextualize it properly. I said, they're not arrogant. Um, they're not walking around like they're better than everyone else, but there's this attitude that is not focused on Ohio State. They feel like they've surpassed them as a program. They're not merely focused on the Big Ten Championship because they think if they get there, there's no one in the West that can touch them, and two for two. I told you, they were focused on bigger things. They were focused on winning in the playoffs. And by their own admission, had they not done this yesterday, had they not gotten this done, Harbaugh's record would have that gigantic asterisk on it. Not about NCAA stuff, not about off-field stuff. We can talk about that later. I'm talking about not getting it done in the postseason. He hadn't yet. Now he has. And they got one more opportunity to win on the biggest stage the sport has to offer next Monday night in Houston. But in the meantime, mm, this put to bed a lot of doubt that lingered around that program. Uh, I, I had doubts. I didn't think that I, I, who cares about that? I mean, I, I looked at it and just wondered. I, I guess it's not proper to phrase it as doubt. I just wondered. Like I wondered how they'd handle Bama's pass rush. Well, in reality, they got after Bama a whole lot more than Bama got after them. Um, I wondered whether Alabama could sprinkle a lot of those pass catchers that they had gotten involved at various points in this year in the game plan enough to where Michigan couldn't, couldn't adequately cover them all. They didn't. The Michigan did a great job. Bama didn't complete a single pass over 30 yards the whole night. And so all those questions got answered and in the affirmative, and Michigan wins. What about Alabama? What about Alabama? I am fascinated, just fascinated at the concept that a team could go wire to wire with a problem as basic as inability to snap a football and still win a conference title in the SEC and make it to the postseason. Like I talked about Michigan and I said, it's a testament to them that they played that bad on special teams and still won this football game. In a roundabout way, it's a testament to Alabama that, guys, they couldn't snap football. And not just in this game. It was a problem in week one. It was a problem last night. I was talking to, um, I was talking to Jordan Rogers yesterday. He said, you know, I went back and watched the SEC championship game. Did you know they had 15 snaps in that game that were at the knees or below to Milrow? Do you know what that does to timing? I don't think I need to explain that. Uh, point being, there were just fundamental issues with them. We saw it early in the year. Uh, you, I, think, I think I saw some people trying to overthink the room today and say, oh, everyone is saying this was a great coaching job by Nick Saban, but really was it when they have a roster that talented? Yeah, yeah, I think it was a pretty darn good coaching job. They didn't have a true wide receiver one on this team. Offensive line average at best to poor at various points in the year, and then all of a sudden dominant against Georgia. But that was the exception. As it turns out, that was not the rule. Uh, like I said, they, they not only had issues snapping the football, don't forget, 
Nick Saban was so concerned about his quarterback situation in spring, he took a portal quarterback after the spring, and that dude just recommitted to Notre Dame to play a sport other than football. That is not the recipe for making the college football playoff. So you can either look at it by typical Alabama standards and say, well, they didn't get it done in the playoffs. That's a failure. Okay. I, I, I try and judge teams just on the surface against the rest of the country in that given year. Uh, that Alabama team overachieved in a lot of ways this year. And I, I'm, really, I'm really interested to see what they think they need to do moving forward. Like, do, do they think they need to pursue a quarterback in the portal? How many of those true freshmen coming in are impact players? Just normal stuff. You'd ask that question about a lot of teams. But I want to get back to one more thing with Michigan. Because um, I know it's going to pop up. I mean, it's, it's, it's been there all year. There's a lot of lingering question around Michigan about the sign-stealing stuff, about the off-the-field stuff, about the ongoing NCAA investigation. And there is a portion of the college football public, and you may be a part of it, and you're totally entitled to your opinion, that says anytime Michigan does something good, well, it won't count. Well, enjoy it now. Enjoy it while it lasts because it's all coming down. And it implies, obviously, that there will be sanctions or action taken against the program down the road that negates any kind of gain they make this year. Well, if you think that, okay. I will happily lead the show. I won't happily do it. I will dutifully lead the show with uh, Michigan being stripped of this or that the night it happens. But until that happens, I'm going to talk about them like any other football program, any other football team. Now. Now, not, not during this whole mess when it was going on. The week of the Penn State game, I talked about it. But there's no sign Michigan stole yesterday to dominate Alabama at the line of scrimmage in the second half. Like, there's, there's no sign they stole to get after Jalen Milrow like they did. That's just playing their style of football and doing it better than Alabama. That's not stealing a sign. There's, there's nothing about that. There's nothing anybody in that Bama locker room would look at you and say in terms of nefarious activity that led to that edge Michigan had. So I watched him in the Rose Bowl yesterday beat the best head coach in the best program in the past decade and a half, and I don't think anything was sideways about it. So in the future, if something does come of that, okay. But in the meantime, you guys are free to view that team through any prism you want. I'm telling you the prism I'm viewing them through is the same one I'm viewing everyone else through right now. And if we hear otherwise down the road, we hear otherwise. But I just remember 2010 all too well. And I remember Auburn going on a run that year. And there was this huge cloud over the program surrounding Cam Newton and pay for play and the NCAAs at the doorstep and, oh, don't worry, anything gained now will be taken from them down the road. Well, I have been to Jordan-Hare Stadium several times since then, and that 2010 banner still hangs every bit as much. That Cam Newton statue out front, it's still there. It didn't happen the way you thought it would. Almost nobody has inside information on how NCAA investigations are working, and those who do aren't usually talking during the middle of them. So not to lionize the NCAA or anything tonight. I'm just trying to, you know, take the garden hose a little bit to some of these flames of opinions of, oh, Michigan, it's going to all be for naught. I highly doubt that. I, I highly doubt that. We'll see, though. That was part one of yesterday's semifinals. And, and wow, was it amazing. And by the way, Colin, you don't have to include this in the VOD, but the Rose Bowl's awesome. 
Herb Street tweeted out his annual tweet about how the Rose Bowl should be the forever spot for the national championship game today. And I used to think that was the dumbest take. And now I'm totally on board with it. I think the biggest pushback on that is it screws the fan. Because if you made the Rose Bowl the spot for the national championship game every year, that's like two or 3,000 miles away from most of the big fan bases. And it costs an arm and a leg to go out there and tickets are insane. And it's like $5 gas in California anyway. But my retort to that is the this, this situ- situation now already screws you. Have you looked at the cost? Ask Washington fans how easy it was to get to New Orleans over the last week. Look at the secondary market ticket prices for the national championship this Monday night in Houston. Like You already get screwed. And by the way, we're expanding the playoff. So do yourself a little cost analysis. If you're a Virginia Tech fan, and, and hats off to Brent Pry for one of the strongest closes to the season of any team in the country, just Virginia Tech, out of the blue. Let's just say they're the next team to make a run. You guys go ahead and price what it would cost to go on the road in the first round and then a, a semifinal game or quarterfinal, semifinal, national championship game, hotels in each city, tickets. The point is, it, it's, it's already cost prohibitive. And so if you've already got a structure that screws you, I'd at least love to reward the one dot on the college football map that has clung to college football authenticity, even as a majority of the rest of the sport has run towards this nothingness, has run towards the, the edge of the professionalization cliff, and it won't return them anything. And if the alternative is watching, watching college football national championship games on Monday nights in random lifeless NFL venues, give me the Rose Bowl all day. Like Karen Linhart out there, Doug Ingles took care of us, love those folks. And the other great part about the Rose Bowl, as a kid who grew up in rural Georgia and only saw it on TV, is they're better than you, but they know it and they don't have to tell you. They're like Waffle House. And this is a supreme compliment where I come from. Waffle House famously spends $0 per year marketing. They don't have to tell you they're the GOAT. Everyone else will tell you for them. The Rose Bowl doesn't have to tell you how great they are. I'll tell you for them. And it's really a beautiful place to be in life. So anyway, I'm with Herb Street on that. I would not mind if we just made that the uh, permanent national championship home. And I understand that that is a little bit, it's a little bit uh, strong of an opinion. It's a little radical. I don't, it's just an opinion. I don't think it's fact. It's not right or wrong. It's just the way that I lean right now. Okay, the other game that happened yesterday, and boy, do I have some things to say about this. Washington 37, Texas 31. Remember when we were previewing this game and I said, I think the country's initial reaction is, Texas, Washington, give me Texas. Talent roster, give me Texas. And then I said, a lot of the country's going to do a deeper dive on the game and they're going to go, uh-oh, matchup problem for Texas. Oh, pass defense in the 90s. Best pass offense in America. And then I said, there's a fine sliver of the college football public that will do a double deep dive, and they'll go, is Texas's secondary really that vulnerable? Weren't a lot of these passing yards put up in garbage time or in situations where teams were in catch-up mode? And to that I said, we'll find out. Well, friends, we found out. Padlock stats all over the place. Michael Penix was a padlock stat in this game. 29 of 38, 430 yards, two touchdowns. Washington had half a dozen guys 
with three-plus catches. Not last month. Last night, just last night, that half a dozen guys catch three balls or more. A Dunze went off. Like all the usual suspects went off. They had zero sacks, and it's not because Texas didn't get pressure. It's just because Michael Penix is kind of sort of a wizard, does some things that shouldn't really be capable of being done on a football field. Unbelievable. Uh, You watched the game just like I did. Nine passes of 15-plus yards. But here's what's even more impressive. Because sometimes, if I got extreme talent at running back and wide receiver, I can toss the ball out in the flat, and you guys can take it 25 yards downfield, and it looks like I lit you up through the air when I didn't. Penix was 7 of 11 for 257 yards on passes that went 15 yards or more in the air. That is insanity. That is a video game stat line. You're not supposed to do that in week three against Portland State, much less against Texas. So it turns out Texas's pass D was that vulnerable. And it turns out Washington was more than ready to meet the challenge there. And that matchup, advantage for Washington, negated all the other edges Texas had. Remember, I, I don't know if it was last week or week before, we were doing this little exercise where I was talking about talent mattering, but talent being misinterpreted. So a lot of times people take talent to just mean, let me go to 247sports.com. Hmm, there we go. Let me look up the team talent composite. All right, there it is. Oh, Texas is near the top and Washington's in the 20s or 30s. Ball game. That's not the way football games are played, though. There's, there's nothing incorrect about those metrics. I believe in those metrics, but those are just a resource. That's just a guideline. That's not the rule of how a game plays out because matchups, styles, in other words, dictate how fights go. And the, the style of this game really early on dictated that we've got racehorses at wide receiver here and you can't cover them. So it doesn't really matter if your tight end is better than ours. It doesn't matter if you have two or three corners that were four-star or higher and we don't. You can't guard these guys. You can't touch our quarterback. The rest of it, as long as we just hold serve, as long as we're competitive, we'll be fine. That's how football games play out. That's how teams that don't recruit on your level, necessarily, can beat you. Washington, having said that, flirted with utter disaster in the fourth quarter. So I was leaving the Rose Bowl. I'm watching the game in the car. I have, of course, watched the entire thing since then on the flight home this morning, but I'm, I'm watching it live in the car, just Gelby driving us through the back streets of Pasadena because Gelby is a SoCal native. Actually, Gelby's lived all over the world, but he currently resides in Southern California. That's as specific as I'd like to get about Gelby's location. But I'm watching the game. And then as we get back downtown to our hotel, we're, we're, I'm, I'm driving by bars and stuff, and you see 3121 Washington. Uh-oh. Back up to the hotel room, 3421, I believe it was. And then here comes Texas. And the way that fourth quarter unfolded, it was very interesting because this was not a game. Like, if you, if you look, okay, if you look at 3731 Washington, and you knew Texas was favored by four, four and a half, and You thought they had the talent edge and whatnot. You may think Washington must have found a way to sneak around and win this game. They must have just stayed within punching reach, and then all of a sudden they got them at the very end. No. No, Washington owned the game. It was Texas trying to sneak in the back door. It was Texas 
trying to do to Washington what several teams had to do to Texas this year. Texas got up big on some teams, and then they got back in the back door and they made it close, and it was Texas folks trying to convince you this game wasn't really as close as it looks. It's Washington today saying this game wasn't as close as it looks. They're right. They're right. Those points count, but they're right. Texas trailed by nine points with a minute 10 to go in this game, and they didn't recover an onside kick. Like, how in the world did they have multiple throws to the end zone to win it? Well, I thought, candidly, uh, Washington made a terrible decision to throw the ball on third down, and then you have a freak occurrence where you have a running back get hurt in a portion of the game where, frankly, you could have been taking knees and leaving Texas with almost no time on the clock. And so you lose your best tailback, and that, that's not a factor in this game. It could be in the next game. But more importantly, Texas gets the ball with time to do something, even with no timeouts. And mm, it was a nervous, nervous time. So much so that I had, I had two tweets ready to fire off. Because that's really what it comes down to. You know, it's what are you going to say right when the game ends? So I had the koala with, with the mouth hanging open and the leaves hanging out of his mouth. I just needed to know which team's logo I was going to put on his chest there. Turned out to be a Washington Husky logo. I, I am, in a weird way, I'm glad that the game ended the way it did, even though I picked Texas, because Washington deserved to win the game. So I'm glad Washington did win the game. Um, that throw to A.D. Mitchell, man, I did think five was going to end up making some kind of miraculous play for Texas, because that's all he's done his entire career. Washington just got their 10th straight win of 10 points or less, which is a record probably on this planet and every other planet. What can you say? The same thing I just said about Michigan, I could say about Washington. I have, uh, I've seen them in person twice this year, the, just the Oregon games. That's when I, oh, three times. We went to the Oregon State game. Anytime Washington played a team from the state of Oregon, I was there this year. And there's, a, there's an element about that team that's the same as Michigan. And it does not show up on paper. And it doesn't show up in, in a statistical model. But there is an intangible quality about teams that end up being the best at the end. And it's, it's really hard to put your finger on. A lot of times, it's guys who have been together a while. It's really supremely good coaching staffs. But there is an intangible that you can feel when you're around them, and you see it in close games. Teams don't accidentally win 10 close games in a row. Never happens. And so, Kalen DeBoer's got his team in the national championship game. And also, in the last year of the 14 playoff era, they are doing something that people claimed we needed an expanded playoff to see happen, which is like an Alanis Morissette level of ironic. But also, he's on the precipice of doing a lot of stuff that we've never seen done. And that's just in terms of overall talent, roster makeup, and, and what we thought was possible versus what wasn't possible in college football. But that's Washington's side, the Texas side. <clears throat> remember early in the year, red zone was a big issue for Texas, okay? And we wondered aloud, in this game, will it be an issue for them? Well, it wasn't to start off with. Their first four opportunities in the red zone, touchdown, 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 touchdown. But they got down there the last two drives. I think, uh, Jesse, I think they had seven plays down there. And obviously, you saw how things worked out. But also, they had 10 penalties in this game. They had two second-half fumbles. Give Washington credit for those, but they had two second-half fumbles. And the story of the Texas season is where they're a team, when it clicked, you said, no one's beating them. I don't think anyone can beat them, but it didn't click enough. That wasn't the rule. 
the clicks were the exception, and the rule was it was a talented team with a lot of promise, but shot themselves in the foot a lot. And as a result, they couldn't take control of like the Kansas game. Well, not the Kansas game. What in the world am I thinking of? The, um, the Washington game last night. But also, if you look at their schedule this year, think about the Oklahoma game, which was their only blemish in the regular season. What happened? They got down in the red zone, couldn't take care of business. It's hard to do. It's hard to do that over a 12-game season. I don't care how soft you think someone's schedule is. It's hard to do. Florida State fans are steadily listening to this right now saying, oh, really? Going undefeated? That's a hard thing to do, huh? Yes, friends. I will address you a little bit later on. So we've got it now. We got Washington, Michigan. Whomst amongst us? Whomst to have thunk it? Not me. In fact, I need to compose myself because we have to do something here. <clears throat> it's dead air. I know, Colin. I just need to sit here in silence for a second. So, um, I think one of the biggest misnomers about me that floats around the internet and sometimes my own social circle from time to time is I have trouble admitting when I'm wrong. Can you believe that someone would think that about me? No. Reality is, I'm just usually right. Full stop. I'm just usually right. I don't know what else to tell you. However, I am wrong from time to time. And I want you to know, from me to you, when I am wrong, I can admit it. The problem is, I have been fantastically wrong about Washington and Michigan all year. Hold on just a second. Since someone shipped us these, I might as well use them. <clears throat> there are no two teams I've ever been more wrong about in the history of college football any year than Washington and Michigan 2023. And it just so turns out that those asteroids have collided and they're about to meet for a national championship. And so I was looking through with the staff earlier today and we were trying to figure out Michigan, Bama, uh, Texas, Washington. What was the Sarah McLaughlin special? But you know what I thought about the more I dug into it? If you go, if you go 0 for 7, picking against teams in a given year, you are the Sarah McLaughlin special. And I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe it's come to this. But Colin, do what you have to do. But I am actually going to take the road team here. Thought I was going to go with Washington. The more I started looking into those stat profiles, the more my opinion flipped. I think this is the spot where Washington goes down. I think Oregon's going to win, and I think Oregon's going to cover. That is my pick for the game. I'm going to take Texas to win. Pick Penn State to lose to Ohio State. I think they're going to beat Michigan outright Saturday. I'm going Ohio State to win, and therefore I'm also going Ohio State to cover. Statistically, the more likely path to me is Alabama wins this, and of course Alabama covers. This is my nightmare. This is my nightmare. But don't ever let someone tell you. Don't ever let someone tell you I have problems admitting when I'm wrong. I was wrong, and again and again and again, and again and again and again. But I do want to remind you people of one thing. You listen to me in Ann Arbor, and you listen to me in Seattle. I'm going to pick one of you to win this game. So you just remember that. Someone will have the last laugh here, <clears throat> but it may be me. Or maybe I just won't pick a winner in the game. We'll see. Our fine friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors powered us all the way out to California and back yesterday. Well, actually, I didn't go out there yesterday. I came back this morning. 
But we had a fun time at the Rose Bowl. I saw various tents in the tailgate section out there in the parking lot that indicated, yes, we did have people who have come from Academy Country all the way out to the West Coast. Academy Sports and Outdoors, one-stop shop for all your tailgating needs and all your sporting good needs and Big League Chew in the checkout line, of course. But academy.com is where you can go if you can't get there in person. Now, I know, because I have it on good authority, that a number of you just got Academy gift cards. So you're good, free of charge, go buy whatever you want to. But also, did anyone just give you money for Christmas? Which, contrary to popular belief, is the best gift you can give? Yes, love is great. Time spent with family is wonderful. Blah, blah, blah. You give someone a 50, and it is... That's how, that's how you touch someone, right there where it counts, immunity. Academy.com is where that money can be best spent. They make this show free to you, so go spend $12 or $13 over there in exchange. We really appreciate them. I'm going to their hometown right in their backyard in Houston Monday night. Maybe we'll bump into each other. Who knows? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we had the semifinals happen yesterday. We had a lot of viewership, and we had a lot of opinions, didn't we? So I need to do two things. I need uh, just a moment from you, <clears throat> because I, I got in from L.A. today at like 2.30, and I haven't been to the gym yet, so I'm going tonight. So I need to drink my pre-workout on air. Um, so hold on. I feel like I should pause and say something so the podcast doesn't cut off. All right, we continue. Okay, that's that. So the other thing I need from you is I need you to go back uh, about three weeks after conference championship Saturday, but before the selection happened on Sunday. Remember where your mind was, okay? With that in mind, Colin, show me that question we got. This ought to be fun. Gabrielle Randall, beautiful name there, hit me up and said, have you seen these FSU fans yesterday? And they, they're saying that yesterday proved they should have been in. Well, I did see it. It was brought to my attention several times. People said it to me directly. And so what do we think about this? Well, I don't think much of it at all uh, because I don't think yesterday proved anything. So my point is, I don't think that the playoff or bowl results matter at all within the context of how the bowls should have been seeded or the playoff should have been seeded. Now, I can say this authoritatively, or confidently at least, because I already said this. For years I've said this, and I'll say it again, just like I said it last week, and two weeks ago, and three weeks ago. What happened, happened. You either think it was right or wrong. When Selection Sunday came around, and that Bama logo flashed, and that Florida State logo wasn't there, you either think it was right or it was wrong. And I'm, I'm cool with it either way because I was on the fence either way and I walked you through my logic and you can agree with it or disagree with it. But afterwards, I don't care 
63 to 3. I don't care if Florida State got drug in the bowl game. That didn't change my mind. Bama makes it last night but loses. I don't Milrow barely throws for 100 yards. I don't care. It doesn't prove anything about who should or shouldn't have been in. If Florida State should have been in, they should have been in if Bama won by 50 last night or lost by 50 last night and vice versa. Whenever people do this stuff, whenever they try and retrofit the selection process to meet what ended up happening in bowls and playoffs, to me it's like if I were to interview you for a job, Bradley walks in and he sits down and he gives me his resume and I check his references and we walk him through a tryout or two and he performs admirably enough. I hire Bradley. Okay, if Bradley goes and uh, blows a car up in the parking lot three weeks into his tenure here, and Jesse walks in and says, see, I told you you shouldn't have hired him. That's proof you shouldn't have hired him. Well, if it said on that resume, I'm going to go blow a car up in three weeks, I wouldn't have hired him. The point is, you can't make your informed decision without that information. You quite literally don't know what's going to happen. Playoffs and bowls are seeded or selected based on criteria that includes resume up to that point. It's not seeded based on a crystal ball. You don't know what's going to happen. So like I said, if you think FSU should have been in, you should have thought it three weeks ago. A lot of you did. Okay. But who in the world has their mind changed? The answer is nobody. People who thought FSU should have been in conveniently used yesterday to say, See, I told you they should have been in. And that same crowd was dead silent when they got body bagged by Georgia. Why? Because that result doesn't matter. That's not indicative of the season that we, uh, we put together. You were right when you said that. But you'd also be right to keep your mouth shut when you talk about how Bama struggled yesterday and how much better you would have done. Like, what in the world are we? We're not doing anything. We didn't say that because I didn't participate in it because it's laughable. Um, I will tell you this. So a lot of folks run around and talk about who would and wouldn't be favored. I do that, but I do it in power rankings or power ratings, and I tell you they're not rankings. So I'm exempt from the point I'm about to make. I just want the credit. I don't want the blame. I got a lot of folks out there who say, I'm tired of hearing who would be favored and who wouldn't be favored. There was a tweet out earlier today. Someone asked, would Georgia be favored over Michigan or Washington? Well, yeah, they would. And yeah, it doesn't matter because they're not in the playoff. Nor, nor should they be in the playoff. I don't think they should be in the playoff. So um, people are taking that opportunity to say, it's so dumb. At some point, on-field results have to matter. It doesn't matter who would be favored or wouldn't be favored. That's true. That's true. But to me, talking about whose quarterback would throw for more yards if they were in a playoff game is dumber than talking about who'd be favored in the game. You got even less skill in knowing the first thing than the second thing. At least I do know who would be favored. I could hit FanDuel up right now and ask him to just pump out any hypothetical line I wanted. In fact, that may be a pretty good exercise for us next year. But uh, Brock Glenn would have thrown for more yards than Milrow. Okay, well, what if he was down 27 to 10 while he was doing it? Like, who in the world cares? The other part of this, and this is just my take on the Florida State thing, is I, I really wish folks would shut up about it. Now, you, half of you already hate me, so I'll just, I'll just shoot you straight. No one cares anymore. From the national side of things, like from, from outside your gates, no one cares anymore. I am telling you like it is. They watched two classic games yesterday. That's what most of the public wants. They don't care that they think you got screwed. 
Even the folks who think you did get screwed enjoyed yesterday, and they were secretly glad you weren't in it because they don't think you would have been competitive. That's reality. Whether you like it or not, that's reality. Now, you can't change what happened. You hate it. You should hate it. I'd hate it if I were you, but you can't change it. You'd do best to harness this instead of continuing to whine and complain about it online all day, every day, because it just makes you look worse and worse each day. The Florida State brand has an opportunity to harness what just happened the way Central Florida did, different context, totally, back in 2017. I think Central Florida did it beautifully. I think Florida State uh, had reason for about a week to just have free reign to say whatever they wanted to. But man, it's gotten old. It has really gotten old. And you're, you're teetering. Uh, you may not be there yet, but you're teetering on people kind of looking at you like you're just a little bit soft. Don't be soft. Be hardened by it. Don't be soft. Florida State will be fine, man. They'll be, they'll, they'll be in the conversation every year because Mike Norvell's the real deal. I will say this. They showed up and played that game and got blown out. And there were folks who seriously thought they wouldn't show up. And I don't know how much consideration was given to that. I'd be fascinated to know whether that was seriously talked about internally because uh, it did that program no favors to show up and have done to them what was done to them by Georgia. But they're, they're recruiting well. They're fine. They went and got DJ Weangalale out of the portal, by the way. We're going to talk about that in a second. They, um, they'll be fine. I'm just talking about Florida State fans. Now, there is another portion of the Florida State fan base who has just sworn off like every college football personality out there, which is cool. Um, the claim is that you must think what you think about Florida State because it is clickbaiting, which is one of the most misunderstood terms in the history of humanity at this point. It's not clickbaiting, man. People just think what they think. I think what I think about Florida State. And I've already explained, and it would take me five minutes to do it again. But um, I will say this. I would probably, Jesse, I would say 97%, 95 to more than 95% of the behind the scenes interactions that we get from FSU folks are either I agree with you or I disagree with you, but respect the take or whatever. There's just a few like nameless, faceless people on Twitter who are very, very vocal and I'm fine. I, I see through all that. I get that. And I get message boards don't reflect the entire fan base, and I get all that too. I will just say, though, that even for the minority, understand, for better or for worse, the public judges a fan base based on that vocal minority. So take heed. Take headed of. Heed. Head, head these words. It's a play on a scene from The Office, for those unfamiliar. They're watching us in Kirkland, Washington. They're watching us in Norfolk, Virginia, and Albany, Georgia. Thank you very much. Now, I've got several other things to get to, but i got to talk to you about the transfer portal for just a second. I'm going to get you some early championship game thoughts. Uh, we've got three radical opinions that I need to get to tonight. Not my own, yours. I just happen to agree with some of them. But first, transfer portal is still churning, and we've got the quarterback scene really starting to settle now. Cam Ward, I'm going to start with him because that was the big domino that everyone was waiting on. So since yesterday was playoff Monday, you may have missed Cam Ward, the quarterback from Washington State, declared for the NFL draft. I don't know if he's hired an agent yet, but we're going to assume he's off the board. Uh, Miami was involved there. 
Ohio State was involved there. Auburn was a sneaky contender there. So number one, we got to pay attention to what they're doing. And number two, it means that one of, like, like I said, one of the biggest dominoes that could have been a college football player uh, may not be playing college football this upcoming year. So then you look at DJ Uyangale, who was at Clemson, then went to Oregon State and played very well last year. He has committed to Florida State. Again, I know a lot of you didn't catch this because it's happening, you know, and being overshadowed by the college football playoff. So you got Brock Glenn down there as the backup, and you got a true freshman coming in, big name, true freshman. And you've got probably a, like a one-year rental type situation here with DJ. So keep an eye on that. And also, you may or may not know, KJ Jefferson from Arkansas committed to whomst? UCF and Gus Malzahn. If you know Malzahn's track record, you know anytime Malzahn gets a new transfer quarterback, it's usually a reason to keep your eyes peeled for Gus Malzahn's program. He's done it before. Nick Marshall played DB at Georgia, and Malzahn took him in and won with him in 2013. So with that in mind, we have the quarterback market starting to thin out. But the problem is there's still a lot of demand. There's just not enough supply. And as we know, basic market forces would dictate that some quarterbacks may take a look at all of that demand and none of that supply. And they may say, I'll be the supply. And Caden Salter has done that. Quarterback at Liberty went 13-1 and this year. Conference champs. He just hopped in the portal. And he's got a couple of years of eligibility left. And this is, I, I think it's a response to a, a precious dwindling supply. And there's a lot of demand still out there. And hey, that dude played at Liberty and his head coach, who was at Liberty two years ago, Hugh Freeze, probably still needs a quarterback at Auburn. So let's just keep an eye on that. That's one of those other quarterback dominoes. And who knows? We may see other quarterbacks still enter the portal. Lance Hurd is a name I want you to keep an eye on. That's a five-star offensive tackle, 6'6", 340. He played in 12 games for LSU this year. The problem, if you want to call it a problem, is just got depth there. LSU's got depth there. And he was probably going to be a casualty of that depth. Now, in a former life, that would just be a sign that LSU's recruited and developed well, and he's going to stay there in battle for position, whatever. I'm not casting aspersions. This is 2024 college football. So he's in the portal. And offensive tackles, I mean, if you can walk and chew gum at the same time, there's a huge market for you. So there's going to be a huge market for him. Um, we'll see how that turns out. And Nick Scourton, number one edge player in the portal right now, out of Purdue, led the Big Ten in sacks. This is a very important player. I want to remind you that Florida State, has a young man by the name of Jared Verse. And Jared Verse was a stalwart for Florida State, and you know his name. How many of you watched Jared Verse at Albany? My point is, Purdue, in a little different strata of the football society than Albany, but we have precedent for one of these big defensive names, these edge guys coming up from lesser ranks. In, in Verse's case, he came up from Albany. But you got the number one overall edge player in the portal right now with a visit lined up to A&M. Florida State, Missouri, Oklahoma, all of those visits are scheduled. He's going to go to A&M on the 3rd, and then Florida State on the 4th, and then Missouri on the 5th, and then Oklahoma on the 6th. That's almost as much travel as I've done this week. 
there are a number of big names. I know the portal's about to close, but there are a number of big names still in this thing. Currently, the 2024 transfer portal rankings, Ole Miss is number one, and then followed by Colorado, Louisville, TCU, and Purdue. And now you know the transfer portal. Okay, let's keep the show moving. I've, I've got some early thoughts here. I would, I've got a, actually another thought that just popped into my mind. I would love nothing more than for you, and I know we got a bunch of new viewers to this show, to subscribe to the channel because it's free and doesn't cost you anything, and it keeps the show free, and uh, like the video. And that's it. That's all. <clears throat> I thought that tonight would be a good time to take an early look at the national championship game. Michigan versus Washington. Washington versus Michigan in Houston, Texas. Totally divergent styles in this game. Big question, who implements their style the best? I, I think if you've watched Washington this year, you know what they want to do. If you've watched Michigan, you know what they want to do. What, what does Washington look like in a rock fight? Probably very uncomfortable. What does Michigan look like in a shootout? Probably very uncomfortable. You know, this is the first national championship game that doesn't feature an SEC team since 2014. And I think that was, who was that, Oregon, Ohio State? Yeah, that was the first playoff year. So we, we almost went, we went the entire playoff era and we bookended it, as it turns out, with SEC-less national championship games. I know that breaks a lot of people's hearts. Michigan last won a title in 97. That was split. Washington last won a title in 91. That was split. Either way, we're going to have history here. One of these teams is going to win a title for the first time this millennium and certainly in the playoff era, but also I think about coaches. The moment that Saban got put out yesterday, we were looking at a world where either Harbaugh, Sark, or Kalen DeBoer was about to win a national championship. And now we've thinned the herd out even more, and we're either going to watch Jim Harbaugh hoist a national championship trophy and just hit everyone in the head with it, or we're going to watch Kalen DeBoer. Half the country still doesn't know anything about him. And we're going to watch him win a national championship. Um, I'll get to the point spread in a second. But matchups, man. Matt, you want, you want that matchup. You want that must-see matchup. I got it for you. Michigan, number two pass defense in the country. Guess who's got the number one passing offense in the country? And it probably doesn't come as a shock to you. If you watched the game last night, it is the University of Washington. This will be by far the most potent quarterback that Michigan will have seen all year. And conversely, you can say the same thing defensively about Michigan versus Washington. Two seeds, and I think this stat's totally irrelevant, but Jesse handed it to me, so I'm going to read it. Two seeds are 3-0 and versus one seeds in the college football playoff. And you know what? Because I've been so out of my mind wrong about both these teams all year, why don't I just base my entire decision on stats like that? We may do the preview show Thursday where I pick the game and I may just choose the most laughable stats imaginable. Or I've even thought about making my pick and, and folding it up and putting it in an envelope and not unveiling it until after the game. I could do the Johnny Carson Karnak thing and just rub my head and make a prediction that way. I don't know. I'm undecided on that. But FanDuel, not so breaking news because it was out yesterday, but semi-breaking news. FanDuel has hit us up and they're letting us know, Michigan, minus four and a half is the opening number here. And for those of you interested in totals, the over-under is 55 and a half. I think this is going to be a really, really good game. I don't always 
Here's the thing about a good game. I think it's a good matchup. Like, it's a very fascinating matchup. You could have a fascinating matchup and have the final score be 33-13. Um, the the, the Michigan-Bama game set up to me as a game that was pretty guaranteed to be close in the fourth quarter. This game could be down to the wire classic. Game could be over uh, mid-third quarter. Like that, it, Sometimes when you have those divergent style kind of games, they could be ugly, they could be instant classics, and neither, neither option would surprise you, really. But we'll be there. We will be there in Houston, Texas next Monday night, and I, um, I'm going to be there with Canel. Do you realize that? You, is there a less desirable person to be spending a weekend with right now in all of college football than Danny Cannell? And I have drawn the short straw, but you know what? Takes a big man to work with Danny Cannell all weekend, and I will be that big man for the company. Hashtag for the brand. Management, are you listening? Yes, I am stepping up as only I could do. You want to know about radical opinions? You want to know about clickbait? You want to know about just popping off at the mouth? Uh, you guys are great at it. I say that not disparagingly. That's a compliment. I hold in my hand three of the most radical opinions that you guys submitted last week when I asked you. And I'm going to hit three of them right quick. I want you to listen to this. Because I've ended up, uh, the fun thing about this exercise is I've ended up agreeing with you guys a lot on this. Harrison hit us up and said, conferences, they just shouldn't exist in major college football. Schedule your rivals yearly, but hand over scheduling the rest to a central body. First question would be, who's the central body? Uh, how are they formed? Where does their power come from? Blah, 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 yada. You get, you get the problem with that. But let's just say, Harrison, that the centralized body did exist. Me. I'm the commissioner, and someone hands me scheduling power. I don't think I like this. There's nothing wrong with conferences. I like conferences. I hate when they're misinterpreted and people think all conferences are the same, and it's as easy as slapping a sticker that says Power 5 or G5 on them. That part's dumb. Uh, but as for conferences themselves, that's one of the parts of the fabric of the sport. And understand the bedrock of college football's tradition. And what is tradition? It's not just a buzzword. Tradition is born, to me, in college football uh, through pageantry and through years and years and decades and decades of some things happening over and over again. And that is annual rivalry matchups, not just Ohio State-Michigan, okay? I, but I'm talking about secondary and, here's a good word, tertiary rivalries and, and fortiary rivalries. I don't even know what the word is for four. Um, you need, like, you, you need uh, a lot of these matchups where teams have a, a 33 and 28 record versus so and so uh, since 1963. That's not bad. It's not bad at all. I, I like that. Now, the other part that's kind of going to solve itself here that I think Harrison is hinting at is he's probably just tired of watching folks play watered down schedules. He's probably tired of watching Michigan, for example, do what they did this year, where they had like two big games and the rest of the games were tune-ups. Well, uh, Harrison, if you are hinting at such things, do yourself a favor, go look at Michigan's schedule next year. Because as soft as you think they were this year, buddy, they got it coming to them next year. Or, or maybe everyone on their schedule has it coming to them. Who knows? But, you know, Michigan plays, who do they play? They play uh, Texas next year. They, they go to Washington next year. They got Ohio State. They got a ton of folks they play. Well, they got Ohio State every year. But um, I think the expanded playoff era is going to have come with it 
a lot more aggressive scheduling model. And also, as you know, I think the entire scheduling process is going to be upended in the not-too-distant future anyway. All right, next one. Huh. I'm, I'm undecided on this one even as, I, even as I read it. So Daniel, Daniel hit us and said, I hear me out. Y'all are going to hate this, and selfishly, I would hate it too, but with the current landscape of college football, players should be able to get drafted at any time, even out of high school. The ultimate goal of 99% of these players is not to get a degree. Point taken. I do think that number's a little high. I don't think 99% of college football players have NFL aspirations. A lot of them are real with themselves, and they do understand that that classic phrase, go pro in something other than sports, is in their future. But, but yes, you are right. A lot of guys go to college football with NFL dreams, and a lot of them are going to have them realized. And in some cases, you got a, a Brock Bowers out there, a Kelvin Banks out there, who know after their sophomore years, they could go pro. They legitimately could play professional football, even though they're just juniors in college. I've never had a huge problem with this. Uh, what interests me more about this proposal is number one, I'd love to find out how many guys would actually be drafted high and, and not just drafted, drafted high. Because you may have some guys make some pretty poor decisions to test the NFL waters and they end up getting drafted fifth round, whereas their junior year or senior year would have greatly improved their stock. And we already see that anyway with the way it's currently set up. But what I'm interested in is are there any underlying ramifications to this? And what I mean is, how does that impact antitrust laws, if at all? Because right now, a college football player, if you try and block them from transferring or try and block them from this or that, uh, they could retain legal counsel and they would challenge that, well, they can't go play pro ball because there's this arbitrary rule that says they have to be three years removed from high school and therefore you can't block their ability to earn off their name, image, and likeness and I just wonder if the NFL was an option, could someone look back and say, we're not blocking them from anything. He's not forced to go to college. He's choosing to go play college football. He can go try and be a pro football player right now if he wants to. There's nothing stopping him. I don't know. I got to hit up Dan Lust. I don't know. Sports Law Trust, are you out there? You out there, Dan? It's a live show. I know you can't hit me up right now, but I'd be more interested in how that would impact things as opposed to... Oh, I wonder how many offensive tackles would get drafted as freshmen. Third radical opinion. Now, this one I disagree with, but it's a, good, it's a good exercise. Brian said NIL was just Pandora's box to the end of college sports. I don't agree with this, but I think a lot of the fears have been realized. However, I think this was college football's Gordon Gecko moment. Gordon Gecko, movie Wall Street, for those unfamiliar, he walks to the podium at a shareholders meeting. And he is um, hostily taking over a company in the process. But he says, hey, am I greedy? Yes, I am. But greed is good. Greed is right. Greed cuts through. Well, I don't necessarily think he was quoting scripture at that moment. But in some ways in the business world, he was accurate there. And I think he'd be accurate in talking about NIL in similar terms. There was a lot about college football that just needed to be weed whacked. Like a sling blade needed to be taken to a lot of the weeds in college football. And NIL has been part good, 
It's been part disaster because of how it's been implemented, but I think it's leading to something. Okay, we're not out in the abyss. We're not a ship without a sail. It may feel that way right now, but I, I tweeted something out the other day. I'm going to get more into this on the Thursday show. I have never been more confident, guys, that major, major change is on the precipice of happening in college football and college sports because too many people have had their, their shoulders shaken pretty violently by the current makeup of things, and they know we're headed towards a cliff. And they know the only way to continue cashing the checks they cash is to avoid that disaster. And it's coming. It is coming and it's going to be collective in nature. And I think that what's happening with NIL right now and the portal and the college football calendar, all that stuff, I think it is all coming to a head. And it's ugly in the here and now. Just like when you make a smoothie, you ever looked at that stuff you put in that blender before you press the button? That doesn't look good, but when you pour it out and taste it, somehow, some way, it ended up all right. I think the product we pour out in a few years is going to end up being pretty all right. And I think the new age of college football, once you get used to it, and once we get it delivered to us, is not going to be so bad. And in some ways, you may look back 10 years from now and say, dude, I thought, our, I thought college football was screwed a few years ago. But wow. Huh. This isn't so bad. It's different. It's different on the, on the periphery. But at the core, we've been, we've been able to maintain everything we needed to maintain about college football. I don't think NIL is a Pandora's box to anything other than major change. Don't be fooled into thinking all the change is going to be bad. Some of the change has been poor. Uh, d- don't, don't make any mistake about how I feel about that. I'm not in love with some of the currency of college football. Some of the current status, not currency of college football but I don't think this is the end-all be-all. I think we're headed towards a place where we'll all be much happier in the end. If you go to FanDuel right now, as I told you a second ago, you can bet the national championship game. I haven't done so yet, and judging by my track record on those two teams, maybe I won't, but you can. Some of you have very famously been vocal about Washington or Michigan. Well, if you're that confident, might I suggest you go put five bucks down. Not 500, not 5,000. Don't pull a portnoy. You can go put five bucks down and you can get 150 in bonus bets. That's all you have to do. Doesn't even matter if it wins or not. You would prefer it to win, but even if it loses right now, you go bet five over there, you get 150 in bonus bets. All of the odds on this here program are powered by FanDuel. Meeting with them this weekend in Houston as well. Got a lot of good ideas and they've been a really good partner to work with. Imagine, if you will, having the biggest sports book, the biggest online sports book in the world, and you can hit them up and say, hey, got an idea. And they actually say, okay, hit me with it. That's pretty great. It's pretty great. And we got that with FanDuel. We didn't have that with any other uh, book that approached us. And that's why you haven't seen one on this show until now. So FanDuel's where you need to go. Put five down right now, get 150 in bonus bets. That's it. That's all the end. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 
Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. I want to leave you tonight with a reoccurring segment. We do it every January and February. Bold predictions, right and wrong. We go back to August. What were you saying then? Because we need to judge it. We need to put the bright white spotlight on it now. Bold prediction number one from May was from Rob in Celebration, Florida. There is no celebration for you, Rob. You predicted Notre Dame will make the college football playoff and win a semifinal game. Notre Dame did not make the playoff. They did not win a semifinal game. But I'm not going to dunk all over Rob because you know what? Notre Dame was a pretty good team this year. That's what they were. They were a pretty good team this year. In this, in this great or trash world we live in where there is no in-between, Notre Dame was in-between. And they were closer to great than they were to trash. They went 10-3. and three. They were 2-3 and three against ranked teams in the season. Then they beat Oregon State in the bowl game handedly. They had one possession losses to Ohio State and Clemson. I was at the Ohio State game. That thing's decided via walk-off fashion. Could have been a totally different season for them. Who knows? Uh, But the point is, they were the quietest good team, I think, in the country this year. We had them power rated, I think, top 10 to end the year. So nothing more, nothing less. But no, they did not win a playoff game. Next up, oh, a cautionary tale here. This is tough. So... I always tell you, one of my biggest rules, if I were making a prediction, is don't predict the exact record. Matt from Charleston, South Carolina said Missouri goes 9-3. and three. No, Matt. No. You could have just said they're going to win at least nine games, and you would have been right. As it turns out, you were wrong because you didn't believe enough in Missouri. They went 11-2. and two. The over-under was 6.5. So, so just saying over 9 would have brought you immense street cred. And instead, You have to sit there, Matt, and ask, did I learn a lesson? Yes, I did. Believe in Missouri, but don't put a ceiling on your belief. Oh, by the way, Eli Drinkwitz, contract extension. Someone's thinking clearly at Missouri. They locked him up, and Missouri is active in the portal, and that'll be a really fun program to watch. I mean, they were this year. Hey, we were there. We were there when they beat Kansas State, thicker kicker style. 61-yard walk-off field goal. Remember that? They stormed the field. We were there. First trip ever to Missouri. I want to take the speaker series to Columbia in the spring. We haven't been invited yet. I am, I am doing the most uncouth thing known to man, and that is seeking an invitation. You know I'll never ask to be invited to your wedding. All I want to be is invited to campus for the spring speaker series. I'm just putting it out there. Next up, let's go to the Big 12 while we still can. Uh, this one came to us from Oklahoma City. Oklahoma will make the Big 12 championship game. Oh, hold on. I read that wrong. Oklahoma will take the Big 12 championship with us on our way out from the conference. 
and play in a playoff game. Brent Venables proved the haters wrong. Well, Venables did prove some of the haters wrong because they went from 5-6 and six to 10-3, and three, but they didn't make the Big 12 championship game. They almost did. And they beat Texas. But there was that little two-week hiccup stretch at Kansas and at Oklahoma State, and then they were done because, as it turns out, they needed Oklahoma State to lose in the final week, and it looked like they were, and then they didn't. And uh, that's the day Texas won the Big 12 because the only team beating them, possibly, was going to be Oklahoma. So, look, Oklahoma had a really good season. I think it, it steadied the ship in many ways, and things are looking up there, hopefully. Jackson Arnold era begins at quarterback, but nope, not quite Big 12 champs in college football playoff, and now they move to the SEC. Last bold prediction was from Noel from Fort Myers, Florida. My bold prediction for this season is Louisville wins 10 games in Jeff Brom's first year as head coach. Boom. Nailed it. And they had an over under eight and five. Boom. It's like that guy in couples retreat. Boom. Boom. Jeff Brom had a great year up there. And he, um, he did a lot of things that I think if you dove into the schedule in the preseason, you could kind of maybe sort of see coming. And they started off with uh, one, two, three. They started off six and oh, and then they lost that pit. And that's a game we called. Remember that two week stretch where Louisville beat Notre Dame. We were all over that one. Then they go to Pitt and they lose, and we were all over that one. And this is the kind of show where I really need to stress where we were right because we have teams that we've been wrong about all year about to play for a national championship. Uh, but that, you know, the last thing you probably remember is FSU beat them 16 to 6. But it was a good year for Louisville. And it was a good year if you predicted them to go 10 and 2 because that's what they did in the regular season. They went 10 and 2. It was a tough day. Tough day, cross-country flight, but we're in here. We got a show in the can. We got another one coming up Thursday, and then we got to go to Houston. We get, we get to go to Houston for the national championship game. Appreciate the support. Met a ton of you out in Pasadena over the weekend. Uh, both fan bases represented very well, and uh, we had a lot of fun out there, and it is always fun because we just get to talk about college football for a living, and that's because of you. And big, big, big things in store for this coming year. And can't wait to tell you about some of it when I can tell you. In the meantime, I'm going to sleep. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Bay. Take care. Have a great rest of the start to your week. And God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 
visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 